to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm the host, Lori LeBay, and I'm also a daughter who has felt the pain, the disconnect, and the exhaustion when caring for a loved one. You see, my mom had dementia for 30 years. I was lucky enough, though, to also on that journey to find the joy, the love, and all the beautiful life lessons wrapped into the journey. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about talking with our guest today, who I will introduce you to shortly. But before I go there, I just always like to thank our listeners. You see your likes, your clicks, and your shares have really spread the word of the work that we're doing. And I personally believe it's so important to be able to connect people to product services um, and tools along with stories. Uh, of people that are like-minded, all trying to improve the world of dementia. And and again, bottom line, that's what we're about. And we would love to have you join us. Um, Even many of our listeners have become guests because they have stories of their own. So feel free to reach out to me at alzheimerspeaks.com. There's a big contact button. That's our main website. And um, just let me, let me know what your story is, and we'll go from there. Now, I also want to um, mention three things that I think are really important. One is a Traveling with Dementia Airport Stories survey that a group that I'm on in Roseville, Minnesota, and the University of Minnesota have worked together to pull together. And it's an international survey, and we would love your help spreading the word of that. You can find that along with these couple other things I'm going to mention on our homepage on alzheimerspeaks.com. And uh, the, the survey itself is for people that are diagnosed with dementia traveling and those that are their travel companions. We want to hear from both parties. And we're looking for the good, the bad, and the ugly um, that is happening so that we can try to gather that data and improve travel for people living with dementia. On our homepage, you will also find a graphic that's called Cruising for Caregivers. It's a webinar being put on by a friend of mine, Jennifer Fitzpatrick. She's amazing. And she has a couple more sessions left. She's been doing them since May, and they've been really well received. If you you can't make the webinar, I would highly recommend you get her book, again, Cruising Through Caregiving. And let's see. um, And then there's the game Stall Catchers where you can actually play a game and and analyze real-life data. How cool is that? So you'll be pushing research forward by playing a game. And many are uh, starting to get groups that are competitive in different senior housing communities, libraries, schools, all kinds of things. So it's endless what you can do with soul catchers. But just go to alzheimerspeaks.com and you will find uh, find information out about um, each one of those. 
So let's get to our guest today. We are so lucky to have this woman with us. I um, have been talking with her earlier, and we are so in sync on so many levels that I know this is going to be a fun, fun conversation. Her name is Wendy Wells Chapina, and she is a registered professional guardian with expertise in senior care. She is a certified end-of-life doula with doula givers. She's a certified dementia care practitioner and a certified dementia care trainer through the National Council of Certified Dementia Practitioners. Lots of titles, but it doesn't end there. She, she wears many hats and she's also been trained as a certified PAC, which is Positive Approach to Care, uh, which is a dementia care trainer through the Tifa Snow program. And she is an author with the Alls Authors, and her book is called The Unseen Gifts of Alzheimer's Disease and Dementia. The greatest of these is love, she says. So welcome. I'm so thrilled to have you with us, Wendy. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Lori, for having me on. I love what you do and what you represent. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I'm, I'm very excited to have you with us today. If you wouldn't mind sharing, have you been personally touched, I should say, within your own family or circle of friends by dementia? It's always nice for our listeners just to have a little background. Yes. Um, my father um, had um, Parkinson's and Parkinson's-related dementia. And in hindsight, I believe it was probably Lewy body dementia. And he passed away uh, 2011. And I, was, I had the privilege of spending a lot of time with him, um, assisting with caregiving. And that was, that was the closest thing to me. And just recently, my stepfather passed away, and he had um, been diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment about six years ago. So he had um, progressed into um, some vascular dementia, um, fairly early stages, but as vascular dementia goes, he would come and go. He would come and go. Um, slow progression. And I've also worked in the elder industry most of my life, so I've had the privilege and honor of working with several people with dementia. And it's been, it's been a joy. It's been a joy. And yes, it is a heartbreaking disease, but I managed to find the joy and the love in those people. Well, well, in your book, you know, you've titled it The Unseen Gifts, and I think there are so many um, gifts wrapped in in uh, this this whole you know package called dementia. I, I think it's just kind of a, a, a unbelievable journey. I, I want to ask you before we kind of get into the book uh, because many people might not know what the heck is an end of life doula. An end of life doula is really really very similar to a birthing doula, which some people may have heard of. It is a person who is there to assist the dying person in every aspect, whatever their needs are. As the doula, we will try and facilitate that. It's about honoring and respecting their wishes. Um, and it's also about being there to provide the comfort and the education um, to the family and friends. So it is, it's somebody in addition to hospice. It does not um, take the place of hospice. But as a doula, we work in conjunction with a hospice or 
even the doctor, and just letting them know what's going on. Doulas do not provide the physical care, but we may see that somebody needs something and alert the hospice nurse or alert the physician. Um, so we're trained to listen, to ob ob observe, and to um, really provide comfort and care for everyone, including the dying person. Well, I think that is, is so needed. And I think hospice is great. Um, don't get mm -hmm. me wrong on that, but to have a, a second level working with that's gotta be phenomenal. I know for, for myself, when my dad was passing, um, hospice was there, but, and they were, they were there quite a bit compared to like when mm -hmm. my mom died, you know, many years later, they weren't around as much. It was more of a, a phone call. It wasn't as personal from the family standpoint. Um, how much mm -hmm. are you physically there or reachable with the family as a, as a life doula? It is really um, up to the individual how much they need you. If, if when the time comes towards the very end, when people are sitting vigil, sitting vigil with the dying person, I can come then. I can, you know, relieve the family a bit or even um, encourage and educate the family on how to interact with somebody during their last, their final hours. Um, I might come in six months before somebody passes. So then we would, we can do some really beautiful things like help somebody to write their own um, obituary. What's important to them? Uh, one of the things that I like to do is to really show somebody how much value their life had. Um, to hold, to create a sacred space, to listen to the person, to allow them to um, go as deep into it as they want to. Okay, we can do um, things that will, like a legacy project where maybe we'll put together photos or if somebody wants to write a letter to their daughter or a letter to their son, um, maybe there's people that they need to forgive. Maybe they need to forgive themselves. And all these things can, you know, it just really depends on on the relationship that is established and how far this person is willing to go inside themselves. It's it's about creating a good death. It's something none of us are going to escape. Okay, and if we can look at it and plan, um, when somebody it, it can start right after a terminal diagnosis, or it can start two days before somebody passes. It's really um, entirely up to the individual and the family. And as far as you know, people with dementia. It can, from my own personal experience, no matter how much you know that this is coming, you're never quite ready. You're never quite ready. So I would say with, with any kind of terminal diagnosis, it's never too early to get a doula on board. How do you find a doula? How do you find a doula? Yeah. There is a list. There is a listing. You can go to, um, I'm certified with the International Doula Givers Institute, and you can go online to um, the doula givers and they have a list of people that are certified in the area. There's also an organization called NEDA, N-E-D-A, and they, um, I have a proficiency badge with them. They also list people all over the country. Um, and it could even be, I would find someone, someone looking for a doula, I highly recommend that they make sure that they are certified 
and um, even see if they can get references on that person and you know find out a little bit just as if we hire somebody to come into our home we want to know what they're all about oh especially when you're kind of in crisis mode i mean that's that's not that's not a time to to you know add to the confusion and stuff there um now i would imagine there's a cost is is that covered by insurance or is that private pay or how does that work it is definitely it is definitely private pay and the prices vary um personally i do it on a sliding scale basis because i would never ever refuse anybody these services um, due to lack of funds. So it is, is on a private pay basis and the, the um, cost varies throughout the country. You're going to pay a little bit more than you might pay a private caregiver. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to know. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I wanted to also talk to you a little bit about being a dementia care um, trainer. And what do you think is the most important thing that a, a caregiver can learn at some of these some of these trainings? Oh gosh, one of the most important things that I feel passionately about is go with the flow. Uh, Tipa Snow puts it this way: Know your agenda, but don't show your agenda. I know that all of us as caregivers have a list of things we need to get done for the day, but it is so important that you dance the dance with them. And um, to sort of paraphrase it, it is like you don't come in and give them a list of the six things you need to do today. You just roll with them and allow them to sort of lead the way. Let's get something to eat. Let's get something to eat and then walk towards the kitchen with them. Not time to eat now and, you know, it's, it's not a forceful. Nothing should ever be forceful with somebody with dementia because that will increase the chances of, of agitation or um, just a bad experience. So going with the flow and dancing the dance, those are probably my my um, most important things I like to teach. And I, I teach role play. You know, we do a lot of role play. And um, my students oftentimes give me the worst case. <laughs> they, will, they will act out because that's what they face. They face people who um, maybe are agitated and combative. So it, it's a matter of just trying to bring them back down, going with the flow. Um, and if you become more of a follower in their eyes and a trusted friend, then the day is going to go a lot smoother, a lot smoother. Which makes a ton of sense because nobody wants to be um, dictated to and controlled and, and things. They want to be part of the process. And I, I love what you said, uh, that, that one of Tifa's saying, go with the flow. Know your agenda, but don't show your agenda. She's really good with those one-liners that just hit home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it, it, one of the things that, that I learned through, you know, my journey with my mom and then doing you know, just talking with so many people around the world through the show and in different avenues and stuff that I do through Alzheimer's Speaks was is really about you had mentioned kind of stepping into into their world, but really becoming more spontaneous, more respectful. Um, and and I think a lot of times we think we don't even look at what we're doing as being respectful or not respectful or dignified or not. We're just trying to get a task done. And, mm-hmm. and so um, when we focus on that task only and not the person's response, you know, when, we, when we're missing all those signals and signs they're giving us or still breathing them and still pushing it through, we're just elevating. 
the situation instead. Absolutely. Absolutely. Stepping back, taking a breath and saying, okay, maybe we will take a shower in an hour. I'll try again. Or, you know, let's not list off all the things that we've got to do. Let's just take it one step at a time. Allow yourself extra time. If you need to get to a doctor's appointment, it's very important that you allow yourself a lot of extra time so you're not rushing out the door. Um, I, I have found over the years that people with dementia often have a sixth sense. Um, they may not understand our words, but they will certainly pick up on our emotion and our feeling. Um, if we become agitated and frazzled, guess what? <laughs> They're going to become agitated and frazzled. So it's important that we um, present a calm front, a calm front. Even even if they're in crisis, a calm front can go a long way. Uh, repeating their what's bothering them, being empathetic, being empathetic is so um, beautiful. I, that uh, brings up Naomi Fields to me. I love the teachings of Naomi Fields. Um, really, really hearing what they're saying and being there in the moment. If they're if they're afraid, it sounds like you're afraid. It sounds like you're afraid. What are you afraid of? Just tell me. And then offering that comfort, you know? And of course, then we can divert. Then we can divert and lead them in a different direction. But let them have the feelings. Um, I think that we all too often want to just stop the feelings. You shouldn't be angry. Look at all I'm doing for you. You shouldn't be angry. What's wrong with you? Well, you know, we know what's wrong with them. We know what's wrong with them. So it's up to us to really hear their feelings. Wow, that would really make me mad too. You know, I hear that you're angry and I'm here. Let's see what we can do about that. You know, just being, like you said earlier, Lori, all of us, all of us like to be validated. All of us like to be heard. And that doesn't stop when somebody gets dementia. They want to, they still want to be heard. They still want to be seen. They still want to be um, a participant in life. And they don't understand what's going on a lot of the time. In the early stages, a lot of people do understand, which adds to more anger and fear and frustration. But they want to be heard. They want to have an opportunity to express their feelings, even, even at the end of life, which is something that I feel is so important. I mean, it's okay for us as caregivers to cry with them. To cry, to get angry with them and say, why is this happening? You know, I, it's okay for us to have feelings. We tend to hide the feelings from those with dementia. Sometimes just being real and being authentic um, brings a whole new perspective, a whole new um, emotion to the interaction. Oh, I totally agree. One of the things I, I think is funny when you were saying, you know, about you know, empathizing with their with their feelings, recognizing them and, and stuff. And we do that all the time with our friends. You know, we, mm -hmm. we're, we're right there with them. We do that all the time with our children. And yet when we're caring for an elderly person, so often if they've got dementia or not, we are focused on the task and not feeling. And mm -hmm. it's like, why does that happen? Why, you know, why is that shift? Because we, we tend to do it throughout our life. And then there's this, this shift. And I, I still mm -hmm. haven't been able to kind of put my, my finger on it. Any thoughts on, uh, from you on that one? 
I, I think it's because we're dealing with so much stress ourselves. And if I just tell you what to do and I just do it, it's going to get done and we can move on to the next task. I think it's, a, it's about, um, it relates back to the self-care, which is so important for the caregivers. Self-care is so important. And I think that sometimes, as you said, focusing on the task becomes the world and the life of a caregiver. Whereas focusing on the person and taking the time to stop and, and hear their stories, even even if you don't understand what they're saying, you can pick up on the emotion. You can pick up on the emotion. When language is gone, when, if they reach a place where language is gone, you can say, wow, that sounds really fun. Oh, my gosh, that made you happy, didn't it? You know, I mean, it's like the caregiving is um, extremely difficult, difficult. And I think that that's what pulls us kind of into uh, let's do the task. Let's get this done. It, when we're under any kind of stress, it's like, okay, I've got to do A, B, and C. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done. And then maybe I'll be able to have that glass of lemonade. You know, I mean, it's just like, let's get it done. We know what we got to do. But if we stop and just enjoy the time with them, it'll flow much easier. Yeah, and I think it, it flows much easier, not just for them, but for us internally, too. And I don't think we give that enough weight or even slow down to recognize that we're a little bit more peaceful. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's often often um, maybe habits of, of correcting that happen. And I've seen this in my own family where, you just said that. You just told that story. Well, you know what? He enjoys telling that story. He loves telling that story. And I'm I'm happy to hear it again. I'm happy to hear it again because I see how much joy it brings him sharing it. And that's, I mean, that's part of it all. Part of it all is is letting them be heard, seen, felt, experienced, you know, because they're still there. They're still there. They may not recognize us, but they recognize the emotion. They recognize the love. They recognize the feelings. Yeah, when you were talking about the, the repetitiveness, I know... Um, I, for myself, I ended up making a tool called Your Memory Chip because I wasn't the most gracious daughter because I was too busy focusing on my task list. And it's like, I, I just needed it quiet so I could kind of finish processing things or doing or whatever it was. And I couldn't make a game of it. I couldn't, um, I, I couldn't see the the joy and the contentment of my mom mm-hmm. repeating that story. For me, I had to really pull back and go, okay, what's what's important? Because I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing this well in my mind. And so mm-hmm. instead of my task list, my little checklist, um, being first and foremost, I decided it had to be my mom and three things regarding her. Was she safe? Was she happy? Was she pain-free? And when I focused on those three things first, I was able to see the joy in some of the repetitiveness. I was able to stay calmer and I was do my task at a different pace or maybe out of order or maybe not even do something because I realized it didn't need to be needed. But what I needed or so I thought was to be busy, to to um, look like I was doing stuff. So I had stuff on my list that really didn't have to be done, but I just didn't know what else to do. You know, busy is, is good, or so I thought. And, you know, my, the memory chip tool got me to realize that I could be a much better daughter if I just shut up and sit down and hold her hand, maybe even in silence. And that mm-hmm. changed everything for me. But I, but I had to get to a point where 
I was really beating myself up of not being as good or as gracious as I knew she deserved for me to be able mm-hmm. to, to think of that. Because I really thought my my checklist was the end-all, be-all. Everything on there was for her. It was what you were supposed to do, you thought. It was what you were supposed to do. It was about the things I was supposed to do, but not the, you know, not the importance of how you're making somebody feel when you're doing Mm -hmm. that or when you're with them. And to me, that was, that was the life changing moment for me of it switched my whole role, how I thought of it. And it, it shifted um, what I, what I expected and what I looked for. So I started looking for more joy and, um, and that was, that was amazing. I'll bet. And what were those three questions again you would ask yourself? Was she safe, happy, and pain-free? Well, that's beautiful. I'm writing those down. <laughs> happy. That's wonderful. Yeah. What? It's, it's a, um, in fact, I can, I can add it to, to, our, to the blog and stuff that we're doing in the memory chip. There's like three questions that actually go with it. Um, and anybody can can download that for free. And the first one, I'll, I'll just tell you what that is too. Is what do I want the person to know? And what I realized was, it was much more than just words. It was our tone of voice. It was our approach. It was maybe the cologne I wore. It was it was all those things that helped her recognize who I was, and made it a consistent routine and a comfortable one for her. Um, and so that was that was really a big thing because that I, that opened my eyes to realize that even though they can't respond the way they used to, they're still taking everything in. They might not be able to process it, or they might be processing it differently. And so, if I wanted her to remember me, or even just know that I'm a safe person for her to be with, I needed to give her more identifying markers to to be able to grab a hold of. The third question is, what do I want to remember? Because I think people forget about what what is it that they want to remember. And if they want to remember joy, well, then they have to be looking for it. And they have to be in the moment and able to create it. And so often I think we get you know, we're in this grief mode of all the things that we've lost, or we're in this worry mode of what's going to happen. And when we're in the future or the past, we're missing, we're missing the moment to, to be able to create that. And so that's one of the things that I, I loved about your book, you know, is talking about some of the, the gifts. So what I'd like to do is have you talk with us about what were some of the best gifts that you received um, from people uh, you know, we're caring for with dementia. One of the biggest gifts I've got is that exactly that being in the moment, being in the moment and really um, the authenticity there is when you are, are with somebody with dementia, truly, truly the best way to be is to be authentically you because as I said, they have that sixth sense so it's be authentically you and be in the moment with them. Stop when I walk in to visit somebody with dementia now in my in my role, I will leave everything at the door. Everything at the door. Um, don't think about the appointment I have in two hours. Don't think about anything else. Just walk in there and be with them for as long as it takes. Be 
present now. Like you said, not worrying about the um, things that you have to do or the tasks, which are necessary. There are necessary tasks. But when you go in, just spend that time with them to hear them. And I really think that that's something that we can all benefit from. That's something that we can all learn. We can learn that they are... um, so much further in living in the present moment. I mean, all the meditations out there today and the the mindfulness, people with dementia naturally do that. They're naturally right there in the moment. And in that moment, you can have all sorts of feelings. Letting them have those feelings, being in the moment for us. People with dementia do not scan or skim what's on their minds. It comes out. It may not come out in the words. You may see it in their face. You may see it in their behaviors. But if they think something's funny, they may just take off on a hilarious laughter. If they think something's awful, you're probably going to hear about it. If you don't hear, you'll see it. I teach caregivers. How do you find out what makes somebody happy if you don't know the person and you don't have any family history? Watch, observe the look on their face. If pet therapy comes along and brings a a little puppy dog and they pull back, they're not pet lovers, okay? (laughs) You know, and it's simple. When you walk outside, if their face lights up, spend more time outside. You know, read the body language. Read what the, listen to what they're not saying. And I think that that's, you know, the intuitiveness, the authenticity, and being in the moment. I love that. And, you know, we've had Oprah and Eckhart Tolle, everybody talking about, you know, being in the present moment. And a lot of people thought, oh, that's that's kind of a little woo-woo-y. But it's like it mm-hmm. makes so much sense on so many levels that it's ridiculous that we haven't gotten this earlier and understood this. Because we can dissolve you know, potential problems, we can de-escalate things, we can bring not only others more joy, but ourselves more joy when when we are aware. And, um, you know, I just had a um, an interview with Liz O'Donnell, who wrote the book um, Working Daughters as, as Care Partners. And one of the things that, you know, she was talking about was that whole piece of of finding balance and having a gratitude book. What am I thankful for? What went right? What do you think about um, a gratitude book for for people who are dealing with caring for a loved one with dementia? Oh, I think that would be a great idea, just a a daily journaling, Um, you know, because that's a place where the caregiver can um, focus on and deal with their emotions because there are there's a lot going on and it's a very tough time and when you look at things you're grateful for the things that are not exactly where you'd like them to be get smaller they get smaller when you see how much how fortunate and blessed you are in the good things and i think that all of us all of us every day should keep a gratitude journal i think that you know is very productive I do too. I think especially in this crazy world when everything seems to go amok as soon as you turn the TV on, it's it's nice Mm -hmm. to know that the whole world isn't spinning at that fast of pace. And it, you know, it could be an ice cream cone or a glass of wine on a hot summer day, or it could be your grandchild Mm -hmm. giving you a hug or blowing you a kiss or 
just sitting in peace mm -hmm. and quiet and just, you know, appreciating the stillness. I think, you know, with my mom, one of the things that I loved was just sitting quietly with her. We didn't, we didn't need words anymore. You know, it mm -hmm. was, it was a mm -hmm. gift just to be in one another's presence. And I think we've mm -hmm. lost that in society. We, um, oh, yeah. we feel we have to fill in every, every second of silence with words. And mm -hmm. there's, there's great comfort in silence. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you just will let your engine rev down a bit and get out a get out a high gear so that you can kind of see the beauty in it. Um, one of your chapters in your book is is uh, entitled "We Are the Solution." Do you want to tell people a little bit about what you mean by that? Um, okay, it's basically we are the we are the ones who can change. The person with dementia can't. The person with dementia has dementia and they can't, you know, change what they're going through. We can change our reaction to them. So we really do hold the key to a more um, relaxed environment, a more, just as we talked about earlier, letting them have their feelings and going through things. We hold the key because we do not have the brain disease. We can look at things, back up, take a deep breath, and try and bring a new perspective, whether it is through our gratitude, maybe even sharing that gratitude with them. Um, oh, gosh, it's such a beautiful sunny day today. We are so blessed to have this weather. What, whatever it is to be able to um, bring the tone to the interactions, I think that we as caregivers have that um, ability and I should say that responsibility too because again if we bring all the stress and we bring all the, the bad things because bad things are happening dementia is a bad thing and bad things are happening all around you but it's, it's up to us as the caregivers to see the good things to see the good things and to understand that that person truly is who they were only different they're still there and we can acknowledge respect honor and and love them right where they are we make the difference we can make the difference I don't mean that as a if things are going bad I don't mean that you know that you can set the tone for an ugly day because with dementia as you know it's very unpredictable and sometimes things don't work out but that's about again about doing the dance and being in the moment we just as as a parent as a mother I made mistakes I made mistakes with my son, you know, um, and he turned out okay. <laughs> I'm blessed. So it's like don't beat yourself up for when you have a bad day or you do something wrong. It, it's like just get up and do it different next time. Learn from the bad experience and do it right the next time. Well, you know, one of the things that I liked even when I was reading your, your um, introduction is you have gotten certified through a variety of, of techniques and, and communities. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is really wise because I don't think there is a silver bullet. And I think a lot of times families think there's a silver bullet 
well, if I do it this way, it'll, it'll always be good. And it's like, no, it might work now, and it might work tomorrow, and it might even work for three months, but then it could blow up in your face and all change. Absolutely. It's, you know, it really is about us not giving up, but just having, having the um, perseverance and the creativity to try something new. Because I think yeah. instead of giving up, if we, if we can at least say, well, at least it tried, you know, and maybe mm -hmm. it didn't work, mm -hmm. and maybe even try mm -hmm. it three or four times to see, because mm -hmm. it might not work once and it might work again another time. But again, always changing things up, but trying to get them to be part of the community, be part of the relationship, you know, figure out where their, their comforts lie, what scares them. Um, what causes them fear and, and it could be simple things like the sun coming through the blinds could be creating a shadow that is making mm -hmm. them paranoid and you shut the blinds and that goes away i mean sometimes the things are are very very simple that we have to change to make them comfortable but we have to look at the whole environment you know when we're mm -hmm. we're caring for them Right, right. If so, and if something's not working, let it go and try something else. Try something else. And and as a caregiver, you can even, you know, challenge yourself that way and like, okay, um, today this worked. I'll try it again. Well, like as you said, tomorrow it might not work. Um, then you've got to come up with another creative idea. And that's where you can, as a caregiver, um, express yourself express yourself and 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 pat yourself on the back for coming up with a creative way to get them to shower for coming up with a creative way to get them um to continue to self-groom to sorts of tasks if you can give yourself a pat on the back when it's a success and say yes that worked you might have to tweak it a little tomorrow to get it to work again but be able to walk away and say okay just because i've done it this way for 30 days and it's not working today, I need to come up with something else. I need to come up with another plan. And you can you can sometimes do that instantaneously at the spur of the moment by allowing yourself to be authentic, allowing yourself to to you know try different things, to not always be right, to not always be right, and to not always have to have things go exactly as you planned to give the flexibility to it, to to really, as I said, allow that extra time when you have to go somewhere, allow that extra time if you know that there's something going to be going on that may be challenging for your loved one. Look at the big picture. Look at the big picture. You know, proceed that way and be willing to change for them. When you were saying don't always, you know, you don't always have to be right. I think that is um, one of the mistakes I see happen in families is it's perceived that many times the primary caregiver is always doing it right. They always have it right. And so I think sometimes sharing those mistakes with other parties in the family, because some of them feel very inadequate and unable to prepare because they think you have it right. And they don't want to mm -hmm. let they don't want to let them down and go. It, you know, this is a crapshoot. This is kind of like parenting 101. There's not there's yes. a great roadmap mm -hmm. with this thing. You know, it's a trial and error. Do it in a dignified fashion as you progress through it. 
Now, one of your chapters is um, entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? You know, after that caregiving role ends, how, what do you recommend for people? And I know you're kind of going through that right now again in your own, own personal life. Um, are you comfortable sharing um, any tips on that right now? Um, yeah, I think it's about allowing ourselves to grieve. Um, I think in 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 my situation, I'm comfortable sharing that. You know, even though my stepfather was declining, and I knew that this could happen at any moment, when it happened, it it was a shock, and it was devastating because I will never see him again, and that's something that all of us go through. Even though there's when, especially when someone suffers with dementia for so many years, there's a part of you that is relieved, but there's also the part of you that faces the reality and says, they're gone, they're gone. And that, so I think it's something that is very personal to people, their grief, and everybody handles it differently. But I think it's very important that we allow ourselves to grieve, to pull back, to uh, reminisce, to cry, to um, get angry, to again feel all those feelings and and know that you're right where you're supposed to be. I really encourage people to get involved in support groups because there are people there that have been where you are. There's people there that can give you tips and pointers and even if it's just a one or two liner, you can walk away with something. Those people that aren't comfortable with um, going into group settings, there's so many online resources available so many and people can really you know it's time to when somebody um, has left us um, you need to deal with your grief and there's a gift in that there is a gift in in seeing seeing all the magic that this person brought to your life seeing all the good times um, I think that when we're grieving it's easier than to focus on the positive rather than the negative. I think that it just becomes, we can look at our fond memories and see how blessed we were to have them in our lives. And even going back before the dementia, back before the dementia, remembering the person that they were in their youth. Um, and that's where that, again, creating those special moments with the person when they are in the midst of their dementia, will give you fond memories of that. You may be just smiling through your grief at the way he combed his hair or smiling about an incident that happened one day where he did something silly and you both were able to laugh about it. Or maybe you cried about it, but now you can smile about it and say, oh gosh, I'm so glad I was there for him. And that's so where do you go from here is lean on the, lean on your people. Your people that surround you and support you, lean on them, let them hold you up, lift you up, um, just receive, just receive what others want to give you because you spent a long time giving. So it's time to just receive for a little while. And I don't think grief ever disappears. I just think we learn to live with it and we learn to, to look back with a smile rather than tears, but we've got to cry the tears first. If you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, I I totally totally know what you mean. And and when you were talking, you gave me a moment remembering my dad, and it just made me smile. Something I hadn't thought about, but he had this 
he was tall man, so he had like this eight foot couch and he would, when we were younger, he would lay on the couch and he'd put his hands over his head and he'd kind of take a nap, but he always had this hanky and he would, he would have this hanky and he'd run it up into his hands and then he'd pull it out the other one and, and it was like this relaxing thing for him and we always would try to steal the hanky from him and uh -huh. it, was just, it just made me chuckle thinking of what a silly little thing but how precious mm -hmm. that, that moment in mm -hmm. time was. I think um, too so often it's it's hard for us to accept or receive what others want to give to us and mm -hmm. we have to realize yeah. the gift that we got from giving we're denying others by not by not receiving what they want to give us you know yeah. and it really can be a, a selfish mode and, and sometimes granted people need their space and you know it can be a little bit too much but you know learning to be um learning to truly be gracious I think is is a very very important important piece. The other thing when you were talking, it, it made me think of a another time in in space when I was struggling with you know there's so many losses with dementia, and I was really mm -hmm. struggling yeah. with my with my mom and her dementia. And I remember pulling out this picture, and it was of my wedding day, and it was my mom, my dad, and I. And I, you know, I, it brought back, you know, my mind went back to reminiscing of when I got engaged and Tom and I called them and how excited they were. And my mom called back 20 minutes later with the church, the hall and the menu. And it was like, oh, oh I guess we're, I guess oh. we're having this big wedding, which we weren't planning on. We were just going to have a little thing in the backyard. But I loved that about her. She was organized. She liked to celebrate life. And I realized by looking at this picture, I was still trying to make her be that person because mm -hmm. I, because it was so important to me growing up. And then I looked at the picture again and realized nothing was the same. My dad was mm -hmm. dead, my mom had dementia, and I was divorced. And how unfair was that of me to try to hold her in time when everyone else was moving and shaking and changing? None of us are who we once were. We can uh, we appreciate you know, our friends and our family as, as we get older. But there's something about dementia and aging where all of a sudden we feel this loss. And, you know, to those that are really struggling with grief, I say, uh, I say to them, you can't have great loss without great love. And that's a good, uh -huh. that's a huge, Oh, that's beautiful. Because, mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. many never, never had had that to begin with so you know consider yourself lucky to have those memories even if they didn't last as long as you would have liked you have mm -hmm. yes what a gift very important stuff i think in terms of <clears throat> reframing who we are and how we think and how we care and um this is a this is a great book by Wendy. Again, it's called The Unseen Gifts of Alzheimer's Disease and Dementia. Um, the greatest of these is love. And, you know, you even talk in here, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, about um, unconditional love as well. And the, mm -hmm. uh, the ultimate love story. Can you touch base on that before we wrap up? Would you mind? Yes, the ultimate love story. I've, I and I've seen this, and this is, I've seen this happen, and where somebody with dementia maybe forgets 
does not recognize their wife anymore. Um, in this, we'll just use, it's a man, for instance, that does not recognize his wife. But every day in the memory care, he's holding hands with one of the other residents there. And the wife comes in and he's treating this other woman as if she were his wife. And what's going on is he's expressing his love for his wife to this other woman. And it really is his wife that he's loving. It's really his wife that he's loving. And he is, he, um, how heartbreaking for the wife to see that. But I encourage the wife to know that it was her that he was loving. He was still, had the need to express his love, but it was her that he was actually thinking it was. And that the ultimate love is to really let go and let him have the joy that he can have in still loving his wife because he can't um, focus enough to realize that this woman sitting beside him is not his wife. Um, and it's really a huge, tremendous sacrifice on the part of the spouse to be able to let go, but it is truly unconditional love without limits, truly, because it's about, it's making it about their happiness and their well-being. And I realize that it is not an easy thing to do, but what a gift you can give that person to not be upset. And and I've actually seen it where the wife has become friends with the girlfriend um, just because she she recognized how it was a gift to her husband. Her husband who sat there lonely thought he was with his wife. And I think that it's really um, a tough gift to give or a tough gift to swallow, but it can be done. And it will bless the spouse that's giving it up. It really will bless the spouse. And actually the person with dementia. Yeah, I think all parties, it gives, it teaches such a lesson. That actually happened with my own mom. Um, there was a, my mom was in a nursing home. My dad had passed um, and this man moved in and my mom and him became very good friends. And I remember speaking to a caregiver group and at the end I asked if there was any questions and a woman stood up in the back and she had two adult children with her. And I, um, I said, oh, do you have a question? She says, no, I, have a, I just have a comment. And I said, okay, what's your comment? And she said, I just wanna thank you for your mother. And I said, oh, that's sweet. Do you mind telling us why? And she said, because she's in love with my husband and he's in love with her. Oh, 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 and what, what wonderful gift, and what wonderful I, gift. Yeah, I get choked up every time I see it because it was yeah. like, what a lesson she was teaching us uh -huh. in that room, at that moment. Yeah. She's, she said mm -hmm. she, she has given him a calmness, and if she wasn't there, yeah. this would have been so difficult for him, and, and that's uh -huh. All you know, they knew they couldn't be there all the time, and they just recognized the gift of 
how how mm -hmm. nice it is that dad's calm and he can mm -hmm. interact with them and you know it, it, everything there wasn't any fighting there wasn't any anger it was it was just always a really loving situation but but you know she talked about you know really leading by example and um, mm -hmm. so many people didn't understand how she could do that but when you witness when when, when your eyes are looking you know at those nonverbals and you witness it firsthand you can't, you really mm -hmm. miss it it's just that we're not mm -hmm. trained to look for those nonverbals and i think we need much more education about being able mm -hmm. to do those types of things with people and um mm -hmm. and again it's about their comfort it's about you know are they safe are they happy are they pain free because when they are then we can be too we can relish yeah. content. Yeah. And I, I think that's a big thing missed in training sessions sometimes, um, really for, for, for families to understand when someone else is at peace, that gives us peace too. What ultimate love. I mean, truly uh, the ultimate love story with that woman and um, her, her acknowledging and seeing that and, and loving her husband enough to let him go and be be um, experiencing joy and truly being grateful for your mother. That is, that's just a beautiful story, a beautiful story that the yeah. daughter was able to see it, acknowledge it, and I'm sure it made such a big difference in the life of your mother and her husband. Yeah, and the whole family, and I think really the whole the whole unit my mom was on, everybody started to look at things differently. From, uh -huh. from what she said that, you know, and it was uh -huh. just because like, it just took everybody back. Like, how could you? And then she said, how could I not? How could uh -huh. I take away that uh -huh. peacefulness from him? You know, why would uh -huh. I want to take that peaceful? You know, but it was really, like you said, a selfless act. Yeah, one that just kind of made made wonderful, wonderful ripples. Well, Wendy, I so appreciate your time with us today here on Alzheimer Speaks Radio. And we have listed your email and website that people can um, get a hold of you on. Your website is seniorconsultantssrc.com. Um, and your email is a Gmail at wjchan. A M P A at gmail.com. Again, thank you so much for your brilliant insights and taking time with us today. Truly, truly enjoyed having you on the show. Uh, thank you so much, Lori. It was, it was just wonderful to talk with you. I am going to just wrap up by um, doing a couple of shout outs here to the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. They are absolutely a fantastic organization. They uh, really take a holistic approach. So diet, exercise, meditation, just go to alzheimersprevention.com and you will get loaded with information from them. Don't forget to check us out at alzheimerspeaks.com. And um, Purple Table Reservations, I want to give a shout out to them, uh, purpletables.com. They are doing training with restaurants. They have an app where people can find restaurants that um, are have become dementia friendly and taken some training, but we need a few more of them listed. So please pass that word. Just go to purpletables.com. Talk to you soon. Bye now.
Cable news, noisy, touring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525.